Rejoice, O greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double, for I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir you up, your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield your like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones. And they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and be full like a bowl, drench the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord their God will save them. As the flock of his people, and like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness, and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish, and the new wine the young women. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father God, uh, we see that the grass withers and the flower fades. But Lord, the holy and infallible word of you stands forever. And we thank you, Father, that word speaks of the promises that are true of your living son, Jesus Christ, come to us to save us. Lord, we thank you and praise you for that. And we ask now that your spirit would enlighten our souls through your preaching of your word, that you would give our brother this morning um, your words. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for your promises uh, that you use your word to pierce our hearts and lead us closer to you. And we pray this now, asking you would bless our worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Chuck. Good morning again. It is good to be with you. I just wanted to let you guys all know, as Chuck was praying, and just it's an honor to worship with you. It's an honor to be with you this morning. I really do love worshiping with, with you all in particular. It just, it's good to be here. So thank you. Um, to start, uh, as I thought about this text, it reminded me a little bit of an author of a book. Uh, I, so I had to read this in seminary, and he talked about faith, hope, and love. And what he talked about is that with hope and faith, he said, when we lose these things, when we lose hope, when we lose faith as human beings, he said, we descend somewhat into a less human realm. Meaning we're not what we're made to be when we lose hope and our faith wanes away. Uh, I was listening to a, 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 just the radio one morning, and it was a man was interviewing a, a woman who was a young girl in Auschwitz during the Holocaust. And she said that you could always tell when people lost their hope. She said because they would very quickly die. When those people would lose their hope of, of getting out, hope of rescue, hope of a, a better life, hope of dignity one day, when you lost hope 
she said people would just die. She said you would watch, you would see someone lose their hope and everybody would, would gather around them and, and sometimes scream at them and, and yell at them and, and, and also try to dream with them about the future. But it didn't matter. When their eyes glazed over, when, when hope was lost, they died. And she said when people lost faith, they became monsters. Suddenly, these people would become just as inhuman as the captors that that had them, and they would participate in the cruel acts that their captors did, often selling out their friends for pieces and slivers of bread. Our text today is about a prophet going to a people who in some senses were on the verge of losing their hope and their faith. Jerusalem was being rebuilt, but it had lost its glory. There were servants of terrible nations Food and shelter and following God was dark and dreary. People looked at their land and their state, and they had lost their hope. There again was no king in Israel. But they also weren't following God as they should. They weren't obeying His commands. Their faith and their covenant-keeping God was small. He seemed far away, and it felt wiser to be like the world if you're going to get your needs met. Why follow God? What's the advantage? And they wondered, was God really good? And I think we relate to this at times, if we are honest. Those days when hope feels like a dream, when faith feels razor thin, when being a Christian can feel crushing and God's goodness feels very far away. We are finite and we are fragile people. And we are finite and fragile at times. But it's into this space that God, um, and, and to these people, that God sends a prophet, Zechariah. And the prophet comes with a message, and he gives that message ultimately to, to restore the hope and rekindle the faith of his people. That's why he comes. He he's comes to, to restore their hope and rekindle their faith. And God does this by promising that there is a king unlike any other king who will come to his holy city to be with the people of God, and he will bring with him peace and righteousness. This message, this, this promise is really what it is, is meant to give a hopeless people hope. It is meant to give a faithless people faith. God wants to encourage them and cause them to rejoice and shout and praise the one who is to come. And we all need this type of faith. We all need this hope. We need a heart that longs for our King to come to us once again. And so today from our text, we're going to ask three questions. The first is, who is this king? The second question, what will he come to do? And thirdly, why should we care? Who is this king? What is he coming to do? And why should we care? So who is this king? Well, our text is a prophecy. It's a a prophecy where God is foretelling something that is to come. A lot of times, most when we read the prophets, most of, most of the time, God is, is actually what we would call forth-telling, meaning he's not mostly talking about the future. He's come and he, he sends a prophet to speak on behalf of God into their present circumstances, telling them about how things are. But here, God is foretelling, meaning he's sharing about something that will happen in the future. And the reason is because he's trying to change their hearts today. All of the, all of the, the prophecies and all the, the teachings about the end times are always ethical. God is meant to shape our hearts now by what is to come. And what he says here is very interesting. In verses 1 through 8 of Zechariah, in the previous verses, God is a warrior. He's a warrior God. 
He's fighting and he's defeating Israel's enemies and he's bringing justice and judgment on the nations. But here in verse 9, he switches from talking in the first person about I, God, to talking about someone else. He says, rejoice and shout aloud, Israel, because your king is coming. But he's not like the kings of old. He's not like your kings of old. He's not like our earthly kings. He's not like the kings we're used to. This king will be righteous. He is goodness, justice, beauty, and truth personified. He's everything a king was meant to be. But he's also coming not just with righteousness, but with salvation. He comes to save his people from their enemies. He's humble, it says. And he's lowly. He's gentle. He doesn't ride in on a conquering war horse, but on a donkey. He doesn't have a, a, a train of slaves behind him. He's coming as a servant of the people. Not a people for the king, but a king who has truly come to serve his people. And Yahweh says, this king is coming to you. You will see him coming to this holy city. You will know him by his character, by his heart, by his gentleness, by his lowliness, by his humility. He is righteousness itself. He is coming as the savior of his people. And the question for these people and for us well, is who is this king? Who is this person that, that, that Zechariah is talking about? And if you've been paying attention to Zechariah so far, and if you've been a, you know, a good reader of Isaiah and a good reader of the book of Genesis and, and, and the Old Testament, you know who this king is. It's the Messiah. Our text has been describing the Messiah, the promised one of God, the anointed king of God who would come to his people as God's representative king who would come finally and bring justice and righteousness and peace to his people and to his creation. And God says he comes to his people in his city, riding in on a donkey, and that the people should rejoice and shout aloud, for this is the promised king, the Messiah, God's anointed. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Now, one of the things that happens a lot to me in my job is I get set up to meet people. And, you know, people will say, like, hey, I have a friend who goes to UTA. Like, I know a student who goes there. Would you meet with them? Or, or I've got a friend who lives in Arlington or Dallas or, or somebody, right? I get, I get set up with a lot of people. I meet a lot of strangers. And oftentimes they're like, you know, you'll meet them here. And, and I don't know what they look like. And they're like, oh, you'll, you'll recognize them. You know, he's always got, you know, some drink in his hand. Or he always wears, you know, a Texas Rangers baseball hat. Or he's always got a crowd of people around him. Like, you, you'll recognize him by sort of what he's doing or, or what he's like. And other times I get text messages from people that I, I don't have their number, right? Their number's changed or it's somebody new and they just text me and I don't have their number. But I don't need to have their number. I know who it is because I recognize them by their character. Uh, I recognize them by their, their conduct, how they talk, what they do. We know people by their character and their conduct. We instantly recognize them. And what God is doing here is he is describing the Messiah, and not only is he promising that he will come, but he's also describing his character and his conduct so that when he comes, the people of God wouldn't miss him. So that the people of God wouldn't miss, this is the Messiah. He's righteous, he's humble, he's lowly. He's coming as a king to rescue his people from their riches. He would come to his holy city, to the people of God, not as a worldly king with riches, not soaked in blood and the slain of, uh, on his garments, not with a train of slaves behind him, but meek as a servant of the people. Know your king, Israel. God says he's coming. Don't miss him. 
Don't miss him. This is who he's going to be. And the effect of this, the application, what is this doing to the readers of Zechariah? What effect would this have on a people? A people without hope, a people without faith, a people wondering and exhausted uh, who are looking at their lives and see a disconnection between what they are experiencing and what they know about the promises of God. What would that have on them? The answer is renewed hope, renewed faith, a longing for this Messiah to come. This is the promised Messiah, and God's promised that He's coming. Hope, then, is restored. Faith is rekindled. Longing stirs up in their hearts and their bones as, as the, the dream of God's anointed coming to them is kindled in their hearts. And we need this, don't we? Not just them. We need this. We need to be encouraged. We need our faith rekindled. We need a longing for the Messiah to come and to dwell again in our midst. And the application for these people then is the same for us. And it's the same for us, as, or same for them as it was for us now. We have hope renewed as we see the promises of God. As we see that the Messiah is coming, our hope is renewed. Our longing is renewed. Our, we are, our hope is strengthened as we dwell upon the Messiah that will come. Who is this king? He is none other than the Messiah, the anointed one of God who is coming. Know your king. Long for the king. And don't miss the king. So the second question becomes, what will this king do, right? Who is this king? It's the Messiah. Well, what is he coming to do? Uh, one of the great things that I love about the PCA is that, which is our denomination, uh, is we hold, we're, we're a confessional denomination. We hold to something called the Westminster Standards, which is the Confession of Faith, but also the Westminster Shorter and Longer Catechisms. And these are really, really helpful because they, they, they sort of summarize the Bible for us and help us to understand it clearly, right? And, and we hold to these things. And, and we also have something called catechisms. And catechism, cate, catechisms, catechisms are really helpful question and answers about theology and the Bible that are meant to make it simple, and easy to understand. For instance, we ask the question in our catechism, what is the chief end of man? And a lot of people, not even just from our denomination, can answer and say, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And this is so helpful. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, one of the other questions in our catechism is this. It says, how does Christ, right, Messiah, Christ is the Greek word for the, the, the New Testament word for the Old Testament word of Messiah. Christ and Messiah, same word, right? How does Christ execute the office of a king? That's one of the questions in our catechism. How does, how does, what does Christ do, right? What does the Bible say about what the Christ would do that would show us he's our king? And the answer that our catechism gives us is super helpful. It says, Christ executes the office of a king by subduing us to himself and ruling and defending us and in restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. In other words, Christ is subduing the church back to himself. This is reconciliation. God has come and he comes to draw his people back into himself with them, with him as the king and us as his people. He's subduing us back into himself. This is reconciliation. He's ruling and defending over us. And he is restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. Why? Because they are one and the same. God's enemies is our enemies, and our enemies are, the, are God's enemies. 
And he's come to restrain and conquer them. And now what we've just said, uh, that this is, that the Messiah is the king, the promised king will come. Well, what will he do? Well, I just want to walk through our text again from the, the second half of, uh, of verse 10 to the end. It says this. It says, And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I will declare, or I declare that I will restore to you double. For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against you, your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. And the Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones, and they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness, and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish, and new wine the young woman. Now, what is this text doing? What is this text telling us about the Messiah? It's telling us that he's coming to do king stuff. That the Messiah will come and he will do king things. He will bring peace to the world. And peace here is not the absence of the violence, of, of violence. The, the, the definition of, of, of Hebrew peace, shalom, is so much more than just not violence. It's shalom. It's flourishing. It's the fullness of, of all of the blessings of being in a relationship with our covenant God. It's life to the full, as Jesus would say. It's, it's described here by full wine glasses and, and full plates and restoration of double of everything that was, that was lost. It's being with loved ones. It's walking with our King and our God. It's the world and all of creation benefiting and being a blessing. His rule, meaning his will, is being done just on earth as it is in heaven, and it's being done from shore to shore and country to country. This is what the king is coming to do. But it says he will also return those exiles back to their land, those who were in the waterless pit, and he will restore to them and give back double everything that they had lost. In verse 14, God is back, but he's our champion. And the idea is that he and the Messiah are acting on his, on his people's behalf, just like David did as the champion of his people. And he works for their, on their behalf. What do they do? They restrain and they conquer all of God's enemies. That is what the king and what the Messiah and what God do. They restrain and conquer all of God's enemies. God saves his people like a shepherd saves his sheep from a wolf or a bear. And then they become like jewels on a crown. We, his people, are the jewels. We are treasured and beautiful. And the crown is his creation. And we shine forth in the shalom of God with grain in our plates and bellies and, and new wine. So the Messiah brings with him God. And the idea here is that if you have the Messiah as king, uh, you also have God as champion. And he brings this victory and gives that victory to all of his people. And he defeats all their enemies, and he showers them with covenant blessings, which is really cool. <laughs> if you think about this, this is exactly what we long for. This is what we long for. This is what we want from our king. 
Now, one of the things that has captured the imagination of our hearts over these last few months, and, and I'm not making a political statement here. What I'm trying to do is, is, is more share with what I've observed, what I've read, as sort of the West thinks about this war uh, in Ukraine. One of the things that has captured our hearts is the president of Ukraine. Many people have been writing about him and talking about him, and this is what they say. They say, you know, whether or not it's true, they, they see him. And they say he appears to be a leader that cares for his people. That is the common phrase. He seems to be a leader, unlike most leaders, who is truly there to serve and be a blessing and protect his people. He, he hasn't left. He's been walking amongst his people down in the streets. He's trying everything he can to serve them. He, he is using every means he has to talk to other nations and other people to try to, to help. He, he laments the, the crimes. He laments those things. And at one point, he claimed he was likely to be captured and die, but he still was not going to leave. He was willing to do that for his people. He seemed to be a ruler that was truly there to be a blessing for his people. That's what we in the West have said. In the same way, though, and even in a more truer sense, the Messiah comes as the true servant of his people. And he does kingly Messiah stuff on their behalf. He brings salvation, not for himself, but for them. He brings redemption and righteousness and restoration. He comes with blessing and restoration of everything that was lost. He comes with peace and flourishing and wholeness. And he comes to restrain and subdue all of our enemies. He comes as the true servant of his people. And this was great news and produced great hope in these people. They longed for this. They longed uh, that, that God would come and make things right. They had no hope, and suddenly the king was, was coming, and it was a promise from God himself, and he would make all, everything right again. To defeat evil, to restore blessings, this is what our king has done. This is what our king will do. And this, again, would create a longing, a longing for the Messiah to come. And it should do the same for us. This should move us to covenant faithfulness and obedience just like them. There was reason to obey. There was reason to be faithful. There was reason to be good. It's not wise. It's not smart. It's not good for us when the king does come back again to be found his enemy. The Bible says woe on that day, meaning we must trust God from the heart even now, which means we will trust God with our lives, that we will love his law and obey him. So we are encouraged here by the goodness and care of our king, and we long for him to come back, and we are inspired to to be workers of his kingdom, to be servants of the king, to be obedient children, for what he will do for us is great and beyond imagining. Let us serve our king. What does the king do? He does Messiah stuff. He does kingly things, which is good news, and we absolutely need him. Our third question is this. We're going to ask, why does this matter? Why, 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 when we read the story of Zechariah, why does this matter to us, you know, what is it, 2,600 years later? Why does this matter to us? Well, as some of you know, today is Palm Sunday. And so far, I've let you down. I haven't even talked about one palm leaf. Uh, they're on the table, but I haven't talked to you at all about Palm Sunday. But it is Palm Sunday. And instead, what I've tried to do for you the last 20-something minutes is create messianic hope. I've tried to create in your heart messianic hope, messianic longings, and messianic expectations that you might stand locked in the arms of our ancestors, which these people in Zechariah, these, these followers of God, these people of God, they are our ancestors. 
because we believe in covenant theology. We are reformed. These are our people, our family of old. I pray and my hope is that you might long just like they did for your king to come, for a day when he might appear. And the reason that this matters to us is that as we who look back on this story and the promises of the Bible believe that on this day, that on this day, 2011-ish years ago, he did. He did come. A man named Jesus came to God's city, and his disciples put a cloak over a donkey, and he sat on it, and he began to ride into his city, and he began to ride into his temple, God's city, God's house, his house, his temple. And the people were throwing their cloaks on the ground, and they were cutting palm branches down, and they were casting them before Jesus, and they were rejoicing and shouting, Hosanna, which means save us which is exactly what this king is described as, that he would come with salvation. Save us, blessed son of David, our king. Blessed is he who has come, who has come to us in the name of the Lord, but who also was the Lord, just as God had promised. And the Bible says that when Jesus did this, Zechariah 9 was being fulfilled. In their sight, on a day like today, and this should cause us to rejoice and shout aloud, which is what we are actually here to do every Sunday, right? We rejoice, we shout aloud, we worship, we sing praises to God for what He has done, that the Messiah has come. But the difference between us and them is we know His name. His name is Jesus, and He is our King, and He has come to save us. First Peter tells us that that we, people of the New Testament, who live past the time of the Old Testament, that we have this incredibly privileged position in biblical history, and that we, the people of God, have seen what the prophets and the people of God in the Old Testament long to see. They long to see the promises of God be fulfilled. And it says, we have seen it, Peter says. We have, we have lived through it. We've lived and seen Zechariah fulfilled. The king has come riding into his city. And we have seen what they long to see. We have this incredible privilege and reason to hope and take joy in our king, Jesus. And what's amazing about Palm Sunday is that God again has proved that he is faithful. He is faithful to all of his promises. This is good news. (laughs) This is such good news for the people of God because at all times it shows that he is faithful. It shows us that he is worthy of our hope. It shows us that we can dare to dream and dare to long for God to fulfill all that he's promised because we know for certain that he will. We can follow him. We can obey him. He is our king. Uh, as some of you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, I really love it. And I often talk about Lord of the Rings in my sermons. But there is a scene in the last book. It might be in the movie. I don't remember. These things get lost in my mind. Uh, but the king, right, who has been doing king things, this is Aragorn, throughout all the books, he, he is standing and leading his people against his enemies in the last battle. They're surrounded by the forces of Mordor, ruthless enemies who, who hack down people and women and children and, and, the, and the land without thought, without remorse. And the king looks at his tiny little army that's surrounded without hope and courage, and he says, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. He sees a hopelessness in them. But the thing is, they don't lose hope because the king is there. They don't lose hope because the promised king had come. He is with his people. He would fight on their behalf, and with the king would come victory. 
and it does. And the blessing that Aragorn fights for, he gives back to his people to the point that Sam looks to Gandalf and he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? And Gandalf says, yes, my son. He had restored their hope. Zechariah, to Zechariah's people who had lost hope, who had lost faith, they looked around at the world and wondered, where was God? The world seems to have won. And God says, I will send my king. The king is going to come. And we believe that Jesus has come. That it's this Sunday, five days before his death, a week before his resurrection, that we celebrate that Messiah had taken on human flesh, that he had come, that he had come to his city, that he had come back to his people. We celebrate this day, that very truth. And the effect on the people was an increase of faith, rekindled hope, encouragement, and longing for the day that the Messiah would come to his people. And the life that reflected that faith in preparation of the coming of the king and what he would do, and that is the same for us. We often think of application as like, give me something to do. Tell me where to dig the hole and how deep to dig it. But God says, I'm concerned with your hearts. For out of our hearts flows every thought and word and deed, Jesus says. All of our actions flow out of our hearts. And so sanctification always starts in the heart. And so God is always shaping our what we worship. He's shaping what we care about, our loves, our likes, our dislikes. He's transforming our hearts, which transforms our lives. And this he is trying to do to increase our faith, to help us to have hope, to encourage us, and to help us to long and be faithful and obey God from the heart. And this is what this text is meant to do. When Matthew writes the book of Matthew, the gospel, he did so with a very particular purpose. And his purpose was to emphasize that Jesus was the Messiah. And he spends all of his time in Matthew connecting what Jesus had done to the Old Testament and showing that Jesus' life was characterized by doing Messiah things. And we see this in an absolute sense and the most on Jesus' final week of his life. He came to reclaim and make peace between his enemies and God. He came as Savior. He came to rescue. He came as a king, and he came as their champion. He was perfectly righteous, humble, and gentle. He came riding in on a donkey, but as he came to his people, in the end, he was rejected. They would crucify Jesus with a crown of thorns instead of the crown of the king, and they put a mocking message over saying, here is the king of the Jews as they crucified him. The people who hoped in God, the people who were waiting God came and they tortured him. God came and they spat on him. God came and they rejected him. God came and they crucified and they killed him. As the song goes, like a foolish knight mounted on an ass, the Messiah comes to holy Zion. Those who should have received him, received him not. Instead, they crucified him. But Matthew says, don't look away. Look at your king. While being stretched out and cast away, pierced and abandoned, he was actually reclaiming his people. In him being subdued by death, we have been subdued back to God unto life. He has defended us by being a shield, by becoming a fortress, taking every blow of wrath and condemnation and judgment that we deserved upon himself so that we might be defended, accepted, forgiven, and restored. God pours out all of his full unrestrained wrath that all of his enemies deserved upon Jesus so that Jesus tasted death. And because of this, 
He tasted wrath and sin and everything that our, our sin deserved. He was put to death, but in that moment, he was conquering all of his and our enemies. The enemies we can't conquer, sin, death, and the devil. He defeats once for all. Jesus has come as a king. He has subdued our, to us to himself. He is ruling and defending us, and he is restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. He is the king of hope, the king who is truly the servant of his people, and he is alive. We know and we celebrate on Palm Sunday that the Messiah has a name. His name is Jesus, and he is our king. People have seen his face. They have touched his shoulder. They have eaten meals with him. And he has come to us as promised. And he was righteous just as he was promised. And he saved his people just as he has promised. And he is our champion just as he has promised. But we also know the story did not end with his resurrection. We celebrate that the king has ascended. We celebrate what the king also will come to one day finish. For when the king comes again... The king will rule again on this earth from his throne. He has ascended to heaven now, ruling and defending us, subduing and reclaiming all of his people, conquering everything that sin, Satan, and death has touched. But his kingdom is coming, and he is ruling now. And so we wait. We wait with full hope, full of longing for our king to one day come again. On Palm Sunday, we stand and lock arm with all of the people of the old who waited on God who longed and were full of hope that their king might come and that he might make all things new. That in a final sense, being an end to all of our enemies, that we might live with him forever in a world where his rule stretches from shore to shore and from country to country, where shalom covers every square inch of this renewed world, and where we might celebrate and enjoy grain and new wine and be full of all the covenant blessings. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hope and long for your king. He's coming and he will make all things new. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you. We again thank you for your word. We thank you for your work. We thank you for what you have done. And we praise you, Lord, for what you will do. We ask, Lord, that you would write these words onto our hearts. Lord, that we would be full of hope and faith and joy and longing just as the people of old. And Lord, may that move us to faithfulness and joy, to celebration and to longing. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. All these things in Jesus' name, amen.